cycle has come up, that is absolutely fine. So there we go. Well done, everybody. I think the one thing to learn is it's the big ASDA steps, the big ASDA steps, all the way over there. Not these little mini ones by here, but good try. Well done. Um, so anyway, what was I saying, just by way of introduction? Uh, yeah, so come next Sunday, Emmanuel. Let's hear about our apostolic partnership with him, all he's doing in Rwanda, Uganda, in Africa, all these different places where he's helping train leaders, plant churches, and we are partnering with him in all of that. Rich goes out there, Gordon goes out there, Jim's been out there in the past. So he's just full of wisdom and insight. So I think it'd be really great to hear from him. Anyway, this morning then, we left off, if you remember last time we were in John's Gospel, and it feels like it's been a bit of a while. Apologies, I've been sick. I had that sick bug that was going around a couple of weeks ago. Um, But we left off mid-conversation, if you remember, hearing the Pharisee Nicodemus's interaction with Jesus at night time. So we're going to continue then with their chat this morning and see how Jesus once again points to himself as the answer to all of Nicodemus's and ourselves by virtue confusion Jesus presents himself as the answer to all his confusion so let's read if you've got your Bibles otherwise perhaps it'll be on the screen sorry Matt I didn't tell you beforehand John chapter 3 verses 9 to 15 John chapter 3 verses 9 to 15 So a mid-conversation, and Nicodemus goes on to say, How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, And you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the son of man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes on him may have eternal life. So then let's see from the Bible, how Christ has come from heaven to bring God's revelation to us, first of all. Jesus said, again, just to remind us, the first three verses. I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven. Sorry, I lost my place then. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. So a popular common belief within most religious systems throughout the history has always been this idea that someone or some people have always ascended 
into the heavens in some way, shape or form and have received or learned some kind of special revelation that they pass on to their followers or their disciples or anyone who would hear or a person has just received something or someone has come down from the heavens and they have received some kind of mystical supernatural knowledge or information they've had some kind of insight or heavenly enlightenment that no one on earth knew before it's some kind of truth more often than not received by say an ecstatic experience of some kind and a well-known example perhaps some of you may know others may not is a guy called joseph smith joseph smith i'm just picking him there are a whole history of our world examples but he was one that came to mind because it's just very obvious and clear joseph smith he was the founder of mormonism uh, the church of the the latter-day saints mormonism his claim was that an angel called the angel moroni visited and appeared to him in his home in new york state uh, and that he gave him some kind of golden plates we don't know what these looked like they could have literally been golden plates but with on them but what on them was inscribed some kind of heavenly revelation that was in addition to the bible what ended up going on to be called by joseph the book of mormon and in it it explained how a portion of israel upped and emigrated to america and therefore how america is the chosen people it, it's got to be America, isn't it? It's the only place that would ever happen. But uh, he, he had an angel and an angel came to him. It was a heavenly experience. It was, it was a divine interaction and he received uh, knowledge that no one had known before, even after the completion of the Bible. Another example, just while I think of it, uh, is the Buddha. Most of us here would have heard of the Buddha and most of us would probably know his story generally. The Buddha, although he didn't start a religion intentionally, he pursued what we know as enlightenment. He sat under a tree, he meditated. So no one, he didn't go anywhere, but knowledge, divine knowledge came to him about how to receive enlightenment, to be in such a peaceful state that you are totally satisfied and at peace. And then those were developed into philosophical and religious teachings either way one person received something by way of an interaction another person entered in a, in a meditative state to receive what we hadn't known apparently before however the bold claim of jesus of nazareth that the bible puts forward to us is that he alone has seen and only he alone has known ultimate truth the truth of reality it's just him jesus went even further and he outrageously asserted what we've just read in these passages that no one has even gone into the heavens to receive the truth about salvation which is what this whole text is talking about this whole conversation with nicodemus is ultimately about how can i be saved no one has done that except for the one who originally came from heaven jesus himself jesus is basically saying only he knows and gives the truth that comes from the father in heaven 
because only he is God who came from heaven as a man. Jesus has come from heaven because he is God who has put on human flesh. No one else and nothing else. So for me, I don't know about you, it's a sobering reminder, I think, because it encourages us when we read that to consider always in our discipleship and our walk with the Lord to be discerning, if anything else. It's a refreshing reminder, as I said, that Jesus is the answer when it comes to life and salvation and faith. It's encouraging, I think, to be discerning that whatever we hear or anything that we hear that would have a claim to have received additional, extra biblical knowledge about salvation, about the way to be saved, let's test that against scripture. Let's put that to the test against the word of God. Because as far as we're concerned, Jesus, who is himself the word of God, his testimony about how to come and know him and through him know the Father, our creator, is all collected in what we call the scriptures, the Bible. So whatever we hear, particularly anything to do with salvation, any new person with a new thing that wasn't known before to say, actually, this was missing, or actually, there's this difference when it comes to being saved, or we didn't know this before, and actually, there's this thing you need to do, or this place you need to go to, or this thing you need to know, and then you'll be saved. No, no, Jesus is the one way and the one truth that leads to the one life. And we've got that revelation in our Bibles. What an honour and a privilege it is every single day to have the opportunity where you have it to pick up this book and to read the very words of the living almighty God. I'll just leave it there. That didn't sound like it was a completed sentence, but that can be completed there. That's fine. It's so unhelpful and discouraging, I think, to hear stories of, say, a person going here to hear about this new information about salvation or this person spending six minutes in this place with this person and coming back telling us apparently something we didn't know before about salvation or, oh yes, I, I spent time with this biblical fat character or this historical figure and actually they told me this that we didn't know before and we should definitely consider it when it comes to our souls and being redeemed. We are better served, I would like to put forward to you, because I believe Jesus is putting it forward to us. We're better served by going to Christ alone when it comes to salvation and knowing the way to it, which is through him alone. I can do that every day when I come to the Bible and I experience Jesus as I sit and I read it. He alone has come from the Father in heaven and he alone has shared, us, shared with us the truth of salvation no one else has. So can I encourage us then, just by way of applying that, of putting it into practice, from Christ's words here, he said he's come and no one's believed his testimony. No one's believe, believing what he is saying. We have got what he is saying in this book and we've got it available to us at all times to be encouraged by how he's saved us, how he is saving us, and what our salvation will look like when we see him face to face when we die or he comes back. Can I encourage us? Let's prioritize the Bible and reading it 
in our lives. Sometimes it will be like you're on the mountaintop. Most of the time, I think, throughout your whole life now, comparing this to, it might feel a bit more like a valley. But trust me, when you're reading your words in the valley times, it will so refresh you in the mountain peak times. It is a foundation for our life to live and build our life on the solid rock. The rock is God's word and we have the word available to us in our Bibles. The word encapsulates all that Jesus has seen, heard and shared from the Father. Why wouldn't we want to read this as often as we can? So let me encourage you, stir yourself up, find the right time that works for you. It doesn't work for me to read it in the morning. I've got to read it in my lunch break, which is a bit annoying sometimes because when you go from work, I kind of just kind of maybe want to go for a walk or have some, you know, watch something. But actually, for me, with a young family, I've got to read it on my lunch breaks because I'm a bit tired when I come home and I've got to spend two hours cleaning up the house with my wife. And I'm not waking up any earlier than the kids wake up. So it's going to be lunchtime for me. So find a time that works for you. Read bite-sized portions of it if it's just that's all you can manage, then read it because there's gold in every passage that we read if we look. Use a commentary, something called a commentary. It just unpacks it for you if you want. Talk to me about what that means and what that looks like, but it's just someone saying, you know what, this means this in the Bible, and it's just really helpful. Listen to it on an audio version if you want to. If reading is a bit tricky for you, read it in an audio version. Um, Read it with a friend or a group so that you can discuss it That's become a bit more of a popular thing, discovery Bible reading, discovery Bible groups. Read it in community, not just in isolation. Say to a friend, oh, should we read this together? Uh, Maybe we can share what we think God is speaking to us about. So secondly, then, we see how Jesus is the son of man who identifies with us. Verse 13 in the text we read ends with Jesus referring to himself as the son of man. Verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. That's Jesus. He is the son of man. But why? Why does he refer to himself in this way? Well, I think from scripture, there's three reasons why Jesus uses this phrase. Firstly, it's simply as a way of describing himself as a human the son of man. He's the son of a man. Not necessarily the son of Joseph, as we know, but he has taken on our human flesh. He's become a man and a human being like us. Secondly, it's in reference to his suffering, his death and his resurrection on man's behalf, on human beings' behalf. And thirdly, in connection to someone called Daniel, the prophet Daniel, for anyone who knows that book in the Old Testament, who prophesied about someone like the Son of Man, who would come first as Messiah and Saviour, and come again as judge, to judge the living and the dead. Daniel didn't necessarily specifically know it was Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter, but he knew he was one like the Son of Man, a, a deity, the deity who took on human flesh. That was the extent of Daniel's understanding, possibly. But in all three uses, there's always a connection to us, you'll notice. There's always a connection to us when Jesus refers to himself as the son of man, the son of humanity. He's one of us. Jesus is like me. Jesus never sinned. 
He didn't need the new birth, which we've talked about in previous messages that Jesus mentioned to Nicodemus. He needed to be born again, which is the same for all of us. He didn't need that. But Jesus did know and does know our weaknesses and our need for new life. Jesus knows what we need. He's the answer to Nicodemus's and our problem. So he identifies with our struggles, our needs, our temptations, our pain. And coming down from the Father, he gives us exactly all that we need. Himself, alone. Jesus alone is who we need in our lives. Think, unless this is just something that I've experienced, of course. But think of maybe some of your relationships. I think most of the time romantic, but it can be friendship, it can be a family member. But I think when I've looked back on my previous relationships, and I do believe it's a common thing just in society in general, uh, we tend to project those whom we really feel connected to or we relate to, I think, we tend to project something of our insecurity on them. I think maybe, not to be disrespectful here, but maybe those who are younger, maybe those who are a bit more immature and starting out in life and, like I said, romantically, doing the whole dating game. It tends to be more of an issue, more of a problem, but it's across the board. It can be so many of our experiences that we project our insecurity into that relationship and unrealistically expect our issues to be resolved by the person we're in a relationship with, we're in a friendship with, who's our boyfriend, our girlfriend, our wife or our husband. Our fears, our identity, our sense of worth and value, and ultimately us hoping this person is going to make us better and will save us in some way or save something of us that we struggle with, that we find hard. They're going to help fix us. That might just be my experience. I can remember friendships, particularly girlfriends, where there is just that sense, isn't there, that they're going to fill that hole. They're going to help me out. But in reality, the truth of God's word is that Jesus is the only one who can fix any of us. Any person we project our insecurities, our fears, our identity issues onto It's a burden that no human was designed to bear ultimately. We can share in each other's weaknesses, help each other's burdens, but I cannot put on Kerry the expectation that she's going to save me from my identity problems or my struggles. She can help, she can assist, but ultimately she is not the one who brings the healing and the help and the ultimate hope. It's Jesus alone and only Jesus alone because he's God, but he can do that because he's also the son of man. He's a human just like me. He understands and gets me. Kerry gets me. She makes me better in some ways, as whoever you relate to will. But Jesus is the one who will ultimately get me. He gets me entirely because he's gone through everything I've gone through, at least at the root He may not have gone through the specific experience, whatever it might be, but he's gone through the root of that emotion, of that pain and of that struggle. He's like us in every way and can relate to us entirely. And he can more than bear the weight of our insecurities, our fears, our doubts, our sins, our confusion, our problems, unlike any relationship. So then how do we respond to that then? One way is by taking the Lord at his invitation 
and boldly going to him in prayer, warts and all. I was chatting to Mohammed earlier, actually, uh, because we're doing this thing at the moment, if it's okay to say, where I'm trying, it's a great experience for me, and I'm loving it. Puts more time on my week, but it's okay. I'm translating my English into Persian and Farsi for the sermon so you guys can understand a bit more. And he said, he came to me and said, Wart. What is this phrase, this English idiom, warts and all? Learning curve for me, I was like, oh yeah, you guys like, wouldn't necessarily get that. So I explained it a little bit and just unpacked how, like, in a fairy story, those witches, say that in church, those witches are usually written and described as having warts, isn't it? They've got a big wart at the end of their nose. They're, they're ugly. They're a bit disgusting. We don't really want to go anywhere near them. And I was like, oh, that actually works because that's like us on the inside. We feel like that sometimes. We feel we've got ugliness in us. We've got rejection. No one wants to be near us or come to us or get to know us. There's an ug- we feel there's an ugliness in us, even when we know Jesus, sadly, which isn't the truth. But we feel that way. And what Jesus is saying is, come to me, warts and all. Bring your ugliness. Bring what you think is ugliness, which I love and I invite and I welcome. And come to me in prayer and lay it all bare. Lay it all bare right at my feet. Let's carve out time to continue praying to him as I'm confident we all do so as we're able to. But let's do it laying it all bare. Forget the frills, forget the smokes and bells, whatever that means for you. Forget the flowery language. Come to him, warts and all, lay it all bare. Come to him as a wicked, ugly witch that you feel like you are inside. And let's be honest and ourselves when we pray. Let's just lay it all out. Let's express our grief, our pain, our confusion, knowing that he sympathizes with us. But more than that, he empathizes with us. He's not just going, there, 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 there. He's going, I understand. I've experienced that. I've been through that. I know what it is to feel that way. He loves to listen to us as a good father does his children. God's a dad who loves to listen to his kids when they climb on his lap to chat about what they're going through. And it's the same for us. And just secondly, before we move on, let's carry that same attitude into our interactions with each other as well. Let's be real with each other and not fake. I know, I know it's hard because it takes, it takes effort, maybe. It takes intentionality. But let's get always, let's always be trying to get past the, hey, how's it going? Great. Move on. Sometimes that's all we can do because a lot of us are busy on a Sunday. But let's push deeper into that and where we notice where we can see it let's say how is that going how are you doing in that space or tell me more about what you just mentioned because it looked like you're struggling there can I pray for you can I lay an arm or a hand upon you appropriately let's be real with each other let's not be fake let's lose the stiff upper lip that we as most of us here as Brits experience let's be honest Let's be transparent as we feel comfortable to do. So let's genuinely carry each other's burdens and take it together in prayer in the moment or take it in prayer privately during your week for that brother or sister. Let's identify with each other as Jesus identified with us and wants to be with us. 
Lastly then, Jesus was lifted up to die that we might live. Verses 14 to 15 reads, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Random insertion in that conversation there. Jesus starts talking about a snake and hearkening back to Moses when he's chatting to a teacher of the law. But there's a point to what Jesus is saying. He's making a reference to what Nicodemus would have known immediately, which is a story in the book of Numbers that was to do with Moses and a random snake. It's very short, so I'm just going to read it very quickly. You don't need to turn to it if you don't want to, but it's in the book of Numbers, chapter 21. Sorry, Matt, I didn't give this to you either, so don't feel free not to put it up if, you're, if it won't be time to do that, because I found it already. Verse 21, uh, and Moses is in the wilderness with the people of Israel after they had been set free and liberated from Egypt as slaves, and they're making their way to the promised land. But Israel, as we are so accustomed to, keep groaning and mumbling and complaining. So this unfortunate situation happens. They travelled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But, they, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the, Lord, then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole than when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. There's things <clears throat> in the Bible <clears throat> uh, that are called types. It can be a person, it can be a thing, it can even be an event. There's types of Jesus, there's types of Christ. So when we read a story like that through the lens of the New Testament, as New Testament Christians, when we look back at that, we can think, that's a story about Jesus. That's telling me a story about what Jesus did, even though Moses and the Israelites didn't quite know about it at the time. But we have all been bitten by the serpent called Satan, whether you want to accept it or not. Our first father, as we've looked at previously that Jesus mentioned in Nicodemus's conversation, was bit first, along with his wife Eve, when he succumbed to Satan's temptation to sin. And that venomous poison, not physically, but it did result in physical death, ultimately that spiritual poison has spread through Adam and has spread down through human nature ever since. So each and every one of us are born with a defect. It's a sin defect. It's a spiritual defect. It's a poison running through our spiritual veins we needed an antidote just like the israelites did for the snakes in the wilderness they got a bronze snake we got a bruised savior they got a bronze snake we got a bruised savior they got a bronze snake 
caught on a pole, which ended up being an idol, unfortunately, later on, they ended up worshipping it. We got a bruised saviour who was hung on a cross and who we rightly worship going forward. He's the cure. Jesus is the medicine to our problem. As the poison Israelites had to look to the bronze snake on a pole to be healed, so we must look to our bruised saviour, Jesus Christ, who hung on a cross for you and for me and for everyone. Looking to him, believing in him, trusting in him and dying with him. Dying in Jesus, ending our lives, spiritually speaking, so we can live with Jesus instead, is what we've been called to. And from that, we get eternal life, which is what Jesus said. I've lost the passage now, but he said, you will receive eternal life when the Son of Man is lifted up on high. So just to conclude then, you, unbeliever here today, if there are any among you, and we hope and pray there always will be as we have visitors, you, unbeliever, listen to the invitation of God to you this morning and come to Jesus Christ, your only hope, your only purpose and destiny, the only way you're going to live forever in joy and satisfaction and peace after your life. Give your life to the Son of Man, who we've been learning about, who can transform you into the type of humanity that was always his intention in the garden. The real, genuine humanity that's a human in relationship with a loving creator, God. More than that, a father. That was the original design that God is going to make happen but he's making it happen through Jesus now. Come back to what it means to be a real human being, not a hollow human living for nothing. Be what you were originally meant to be, righteous, holy, accepted, in perfect relationship, loved, a child of God, and held together by grace. And then for us disciples this morning, let's keep lifting our eyes and not go so long, perhaps, with the pressures of life which are very real and very frequent. Let's keep lifting our eyes up afresh to the cross and be freshly inspired with gratitude, worship, wonder and dedication for the Son of Man who identifies with us, who I can go to day after day and get help from, receive grace from, to walk with him each and every day as he helps me mature as a disciple, look more like him, be on mission for him in the world. Let's look at him who took on himself our death, our hell, our punishment, our condemnation to save us and give us life, heaven, acceptance, freedom and salvation. Let's reflect on that. And why not even point other people's gaze to him as well? Whoever you interact with this week, why not share a portion of what Jesus has done for you? Say your story and you might just even get them looking at Jesus, even if it's just a little bit. And you can just see what happens from that. Jesus this morning then, Jesus is the son of man. Don't let that just be a theological thing. Jesus is the son of man. He identifies with you, man and woman boy and girl he identifies with us and he knows us and he loves us so let's keep coming to him can't see that the kids have come back daniel so uh, shall i finish there